0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits podcast, where each episode brings you interviews and ideas from nonprofit leaders. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, inviting you to this essential conversation with Daria Torres about engineering equity into your organization. Like a lot of the podcasts that have been happening over the last few weeks, we have taped this conversation during Board Sources Board Leadership Forum in Seattle. I'm also saying this to sort of explain that we got bumped from the room that we were doing recording in yesterday and so we are not actually in an ideal location at this point. And not all of the equipment has made it back here the way that I would like for it to, which means that I am currently working without a pop filter. We're down to one pop filter. I, being, you know, being a, a, a good host, I gave the pop filter to our guest, Daria Torres. There, you're very welcome, Daria. But, uh, but so if you hear a lot of pop sounds from me, I apologize. I cannot control that. So now I'll get back on with the script of the intro. So that, so that you're aware, if you were not at BLF this year, BLF's really, I would say their entire conference has had a strong emphasis on equity in the nonprofit sector. And to credit BoardSource with, with, with how they approach this, several years ago, they recognized that they had a need to work on these issues themselves. So not just in the sector, but internally as an organization. And so instead of immediately saying, okay, this is going to be our next BLF, you know, emphasis, they spent a few years and they worked on it. And now they're bringing it to the nonprofit sector. And I just I just want to acknowledge BoardSource and say how much respect that I have for them for doing some of this work first. It's a journey. And like most journeys, we, you know, we may never reach the destination. But they started the journey and they're well on the journey before, you know, waving all of their colleagues and other nonprofits and say, come on this journey with us. So really good for board source. Now to introduce our guest today, Daria Torres has been an engineer for Lockheed. She's been a corporate engagement manager for McKinsey and now a sought after strategic advisor, executive facilitator and university lecturer. She also is the board chair of Giving Cycle, a nonprofit focused on experiential philanthropy for middle school students. Now, I do not know how old Daria is, but I'm actually talking to her face-to-face today, and I think she's probably a couple of years younger than me, so I feel like an underachiever because she has had three careers at this point, and I'm on my second. Today, Daria is going to share information about the equity maturity model, and it is a strikingly simple tool that enables organizational leaders to institutionalize their commitment to the assurance of equity. And I love that phrase, and I hope she's going to talk about that phrase, the assurance of equity. It's a measurable and data-oriented approach, which is what you would expect from someone who's been an engineer. Um, And that approach really helps an organization pursue equity internally. Now, admittedly, because we are doing so many interviews, I do not have a lot of time to do prep. So I do not know as much about the equity maturity model as I would normally know about going into an interview. So please join me in learning more about this very important model from Daria Torres. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Hey, Dario, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dolph. I, again, I am thrilled to have you here. I apologize for the technical difficulties. You have the patience of Joe because we are starting about 30 minutes late since we got kicked out of our room. It's no problem at all. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. But so in lay terms, for myself and for you know, listeners in their cars and on the subway, how would you describe the equity maturity model?
1: I think the simplest way to think about it uh, metaphorically is like a growth chart. You know, when you're a kid and your parents are looking to uh, track your perf- your 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 growth over a period of time, you stand against the inside of the door frame, and they mark where you are at periodic points. Similarly, the equity maturity model is a it's a, essentially a growth chart around uh, an organization's commitment to equity, and it teases apart uh, that commitment into 12 different dimensions. Um, This methodology has its roots actually in software development, the crafting of processes in in software development that yield maximum productivity and quality and greatest reduction of risk and waste. And so it does have its roots in the engineering context, uh, the idea of applying a systematic approach to monitoring growth Against a set of tangible, measurable, concrete
0: processes. So, what are some of those specific things that you are measuring? So, you know, so I'm I'm picturing like my six-year-old niece up against the doorframe, and you know, you know exactly what you're measuring. You're measuring height. What are some of those things you're measuring? So, me- as I mentioned, there are
1: 12 dimensions. Uh, I it probably doesn't make sense for us to go through all 12, uh, but maybe if we start with uh, with one, uh, just to give you kind of a a, a good grounding. Uh, and I'll start with the one that I think is really the best place for organizations to begin this work if you're just coming at it with without much without much enlightenment or having already embraced internally a lot of the concepts around equity, and that's culture, in inclusive culture. You can tease inclusive culture apart into uh, two pieces. It's uh, open mindset and courageous leadership. Uh, so, as you think about what it what is required in order to have an inclusive culture, the two things that stand out the most are the mindsets of individuals within that environment and the leadership that top-down is setting a tone that is establishing, you know, really the core tenets and philosophies
0: of how an organization is going to operate. One of the things I love about this model is that it's measurable, but how specifically do you measure open mindset, or courageous leadership?
1: Yeah, that that's a really good question. Um, it, it's not easy. And part of the value of this tool and working with organizations through this process is that they themselves can define what metrics they'd like to use. So the language in the model is all qualitative. They, as a organization, will decide we'd like to have this subset of our leaders working around this tool, right, we will understand what the different performance levels are, right, one through five, uh, and we will assess our own ability to evaluate, measure, monitor. The capability that organizations have to do evaluation varies widely, and so what we intended is that no organization would be left out by defining very complex measurements and indicators. Uh, where we know that it's not the case that organizations all have that capacity to track.
0: Without using the name of an organization, can you give an example of you know some specific metrics that an organization chose and said, okay, this yep. is what we're going to measure?
1: Yes. So going back to courageous leadership as one of the 12 key dimensions uh, framed underneath inclusive culture as kind of a meta category, one of the metrics an organization chose was to evaluate how often its senior, most senior officers uh, were speaking about equity uh, in a large forum capacity with, with all staff in attendance, right, because that's an explicit way that you can determine how visible, how committed, how explicit uh, is your leader's commitment to this thing we're calling equity.
0: You know, part of what I love about that is the things that are measured are the things you want to make sure you do. So I, I really love that because you're right. That then means that your senior leaders are thinking, okay, how often am I talking about it? And the reason it was relevant for this organization is because they do come together
1: very often in a kind of all-hands capacity. But consider another organization where that's not their culture. They don't – They maybe they have more of a, a loose dynamic where they have – know a flat hierarchy and don't often have to come together in these formal gatherings well something like that metric we just talked about wouldn't be as right. relevant
0: so when should an organization be thinking about using the equity model and and so specifically when I say that so some organizations um, realize like board source who said hey you know we need to take the initiative and we need to do this and some organizations have a crisis around equity so is this a model that you can use when you're in crisis, or is this a model that is best used when you realize you have an issue and you need to work on it?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't want to stretch it too far and say it works for all situations in all settings, because what you do need is a a leader, a decision maker, to kind of run cover and say, this is something we're going to invest in, we're going to put organizational time, manpower, woman power, bandwidth behind. So, If, in fact, you have decision makers who have decided that this is going to be a priority, it doesn't matter what the context is, your baseline can be determined, and you can use the model in order to project where you can go uh, and what path you should go down. And It really has powerful impact when it's done done with that regard.
0: But what are a couple more of those dimensions that you think are critically important?
1: If you don't mind, before I share, um, I'd like to clarify something that I didn't make as clear when you asked me the first time to share some dimensions. So even though there are 12 dimensions, they are grouped into pairs. So there are six kind of meta categories, uh, which is an innovation for this maturity model relative to other capability maturity models that exist. So that said, the two dimensions that I've already shared are grouped under the meta category inclusive culture. So, So what's really powerful about taking an analytical approach to this, is when you start assessing organizations using this model and look at where they sit, you can start identifying interdependencies. You can start looking at precursor relationships. Should I do this before that? Do these two things correlate? Does high performance here equal high performance there? And so what we found is that inclusive culture positions an organization to do what really is the second meta-category, have an explicit commitment, and so within that explicit commitment category, the pairing of dimensions is shared language and evaluative discipline. So think about that. Uh, explicit commitment translates to having a lexicon, shared language, that you know everyone, when you're talking about equity, when you're talking about diversity, when you're talking about inclusion, everyone is working from the same playbook, mm-hmm. and that can vary organization to organization. If you go online and search for these terms you will find you know, a plethora of, dementi- of the definitions, rather, and that's okay. You know, we actually encourage that, uh, but the idea is that you want to at least within the context of your organization have resonance around what vocabulary are we using because that enables you to have more candid conversations, to project your feelings and beliefs uh, more directly, uh, and gets people aligned. How do you build that shared vocabulary? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could t- take out the stone tablet, you start chiseling <laughs> away. No, how do you do it? I mean, it, it may vary. The process may vary organization to organization. Again, coming back to culture. You know, d- or do we have the kind of group that likes to stand in front of a whiteboard and, you know, just start mapping it out, right, and, and playing around with the words? Do we have a group where, you know, we would prefer for someone to take a first go at it and then circulate a Google Doc and then we all add in collaboratively that way? you know do we want to appoint a task force or a working group who you know we trust and will uh, we've entrusted with the responsibility of doing that for us and then they just recommend to us what their choices are you know there are a variety of ways to get to it but the the point is to choose a process that will work for your organization
0: obviously you measure these dimensions over time and you measure progress in these dimensions over time what's the safety check so you know if an organization is not making progress or not making the kind of progress they want? Like, how, what's the safety check? Yeah, that's a that's a good question.
1: Let me turn a question back to you, though. The question would be, whose safety check? You know, to to whom are you saying it would, would matter uh, that performance isn't where it should be? So, for instance, if I'm a foundation, are you saying – my grantees might say, hey, you made this commitment to equity explicit, but you're not as far along as you said you would be. You know, who, who is the, who's the who
0: that's doing the safety check? What from the organization's perspective? So the organization says, okay, you know, you know we think we're going to make this amount of progress, and they're evaluating it. What should those organizations do to at least progress at the pace they want to?
1: I'm glad you mentioned the the growth chart metaphor again, because I think, think about a kid. And imagine if a parent asked a kid, all right, what's your goal height for next year? Can you really have a goal height? I mean, you can wish that you you reach a certain level. There is a difference between, you know, aspiration and wishing uh, and what, what's feasible. So it may be the case that you have set yourself, uh, you know, some targets that, Uh, for whatever reason, uh, maybe reasons that you didn't project are are unrealistic um, or were infeasible, uh, maybe for factors that were beyond your control. Uh, I think the question to ask is, you know, are there things that we, if you underperform uh, your goals, the question to ask is, were there things that were under our control that, you know, we can learn from? uh, And you pull that right into your, you know, ongoing planning process to say, You know, we've, you know, we've underperformed or we didn't achieve our, you know, our aspiration. Now what? And you involve the organization in that candid inspection of what did or did not happen so that going forward, it positions you to to just do that much better the next go.
0: So really what I hear you saying is it's about the organization being fully committed to the process and saying, okay, we didn't achieve our goal. Why didn't we? We're still committed. We still want to move this forward.
1: Yeah, and it's about recognizing it's a it, you know it's it's a long haul, and I, I don't say that to to sound scary, but that you know we're talking about equity, right? I mean, there is no nirvana, there is no like perfect you know perfection. It's like that quote by um, well, it's been attributed to many people: Whitney M. Young, Ernest Hemingway, that the essence of nobility is not being superior to others; it's being superior to your former self. So even in this model we have a you know <laughs> five level model right you it, you would infer level 5 is the best you can be well what we've told people is you know what Wh- when you once you hit level 5 define your new level 5 mm-hmm. you don't have to let this model bound you use the same concept and push yourself even farther we did find however that when you inspect the sector there is no one organization that has reached more than level five, or sorry, reached level five and more than four of the 12 dimensions.
0: Really? And why do you think that is?
1: Because it's not easy, and because organizations have to prioritize what they can focus on. So that's not to, you know, beat up the sector. It's just to say, and in fact, if you look at other sectors, the same thing would probably be true.
0: Are you consistently seeing that nonprofits are meeting the same four and not meeting the same eight, or is it kind of a mishmash? It's, it is a mix.
1: That's a, that's a great question. And the power of looking at this data allows me to answer that kind of question. Not only that, but to say, if you are doing really well against shared language, then that probably means you're also, you've got a courageous leader in place.
0: So, Daria, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you for a couple of specific examples of how the equity maturity model has been used. The Successful Nonprofits Podcast is produced by the Goldenberg Group as part of our mission to provide board development, strategic planning, and interim executives that help nonprofits thrive in a competitive environment. Learn more about what we do at goldenberggroup.com. Daria, welcome back. I would love to get a couple of specific examples from you of how organizations have used it when you give them, if you can maybe describe what was going on in the organization as well that prompted them to make the decision to start this process. Uh,
1: In order to set the context for this example, let me share uh, another meta-category and the two dimensions beneath that. So the next meta-category is uh, equitable procurement. I say procurement, and that might be uh, an odd choice in the the nonprofit sector, you don't hear that term as much. You typically hear either contracting or grant making, but we chose procurement because it actually bundles both together, right? Grant making and contracting. Beneath equitable procurement are two dimensions, fair consideration and informed selection, right? So anytime you're making a purchasing decision, you should be, if you have kind of an equity orientation, you should be thinking about the impact of historical inequity, Uh, as a factor when choosing potential recipients of your investment or your spend, and that's fair consideration. You should also be considering equity-related criteria uh, in the evaluation of proposals for contracts and grants. Right, Pretty simple. But how do you operationalize that? So we worked with a large-scale, globally-focused foundation who wanted to advance its commitment to equity And in order to to do that in the context of equitable procurement, you have to first say, well, what is my baseline? To what extent have my grants reflected my own equity commitment as an organization? How do you do that? So I asked that question, right? My team asked that question. And the answer was, well, we, we don't know. We don't know what percentage of our grantees actually also have an equity commitment. That was shocking. Uh, So we did an analysis, uh, looked back through years of this foundation's investments, only to discover that only one-third of the grantees had either an explicit or indirectly perceivable commitment to equity. And so when you assess and discover that that is your quantitative, rather, indicator you can say all right well what can i do with respect to fair consideration and informed selection how can i equip my program officers with a methodology with a tool that will and questions questions to to have grantees prospective grantees field so that you can tease out is there you know is there enough here that assures me that this organization that i'm about to make this huge investment in has an equi- a real and authentic equity commitment. So we built some tools for them to equip their program officers with as a result of them going through this you know, self-inspection and just saying, here's our baseline, we could better. be doing better, but we need help doing it.
0: And so what progress did the foundation make?
1: That's, it's still a, a work in progress. I hesitate to offer an assessment at this stage, I'm encouraged, I, they're encouraged, and they're, you know, they're on the journey.
0: I would also love to explore an example of an organization in crisis around equity, mm-hmm. if you have an example like that.
1: Well, I would say, you know, I, it, I have to actually step out of my kind of consulting role for a second to, and I haven't actually thought about the equity maturity model with respect to the example I'm about to share. But uh, everyone recalls recently um, the you know, tragedy in Charlottesville and kind of the ongoing chaos there with, um, you know, neo-Nazi sympathizers coming into the campus community. I have a connection to Charlottesville because that's where I went to undergrad. I did um, engineering and economics there uh, for my bachelor's level work, and I now serve on an alumni board at UVA that's focused on Inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. It's called the UVA Idea Fund. And as a group of trustees, you can imagine, you know, that was quite a crisis moment. Uh, And it continues to be kind of a crisis situation, Um, especially when you also account for the fact that there, you know, there are students here that are just embarking on one of the most formative points in their lives, all right, and are exposed to an environment in, you know, quite a bit of turmoil. Add to that the fact that the university is celebrating its bicentennial. Add to that the fact that the university has just um, acknowledged its history of slavery. On top of that, we have a president transition underway. So quite a mani- quite a few factors that you know lead to or that are kind of in this crucible. Why I bring that up is because you know as I think about the equity maturity model and how it could perhaps assist in this kind of situation. The thing that comes across t- most to me is a, another meta category, visible accountability. And beneath visible accountability are two dimensions, transparent orientation and dedicated oversight. So what transparent orientation means is that your beliefs, your priorities regarding the resolution of inequity are publicly shared. right? Dedicated oversight means that there is some organization, some individual, somebody, whether it's formal or informal, that is monitoring performance and providing routine status updates. So, you know, think about those two things in the context of what's going on in Charlottesville and all the change leadership that's underway, um, all the change management, rather, that's underway because of the leadership transition. And you can see very clearly how the idea of going on a on a growth journey and looking to the or the institution looking to better itself especially on those two dimensions would be quite relevant
0: that's a great answer to that question now i don't want listeners to lose out on the off, off the map question so if this is your first time tuning in the off the map question is an opportunity for our guests to share something about themselves that maybe is not really related to what we're discussing today um, but allows you to get to know them a little bit better. And maybe even that way, if you decide to reach out to them, you'll feel like you have more of a personal connection. So Philly's my adopted hometown. It kind of is your hometown. Pat's or Gino's?
1: So for those who may not be from the Philadelphia area, the Pat's or Gino's question is uh, a choice between uh, two outfits that provide the classic Philly cheesesteak. Well, I have to agree with Anthony Bourdain, who came to Philadelphia and, Discovered that the best "quote unquote" Philly cheesesteak is actually over the bridge in Camden, New Jersey, at a place, at a place called Donkeys. No,
0: really? Okay.
1: And I may go a stretch further and say my number two would
0: be Gitanos. Four blocks from both of those, and I never, never had a Geno's cheesesteak for the obvious reason—they don't get equity the way I get equity. <laughs> but I, even then, I'm never been much of a cheesesteaks guy. But, but, it, but it's an easy question to ask someone who's lived in Philly. You're like, okay, which do you like?
1: It is an easy question. Well, I was hoping you might ask me something, though, that would allow me to acknowledge my partner in this equity maturity work. She is from Charleston, South Carolina. Her name is Paula Ellis, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention her because she has uh, just an incredible thought partner and an advocate for this work in all of the stages of her career as well. So really excited to make sure that she's acknowledged and uh, express my personal appreciation
0: to her for her involvement in the work that really speaks volumes about who you are. If you are a listener and you've decided that you want, to, you want your organization to embark on its own equity journey, and you want to, to reach out to Daria, you can find her at her website, wallstorresgroup.com. That's wallstorresgroup.com. Now, there's two more websites you might wanna visit. One of those is equitymaturity.com. So if you're specifically interested in this model, that's a good website to go to equitymaturity.com. And then the last, and by the way, we're at a conference for really designed for boards and board leadership. And Daria is the board chair, as I mentioned in the intro, of a nonprofit. So she said she also wanted the URL of her nonprofit mentioned. I said to her, that makes you a really good board chair. The nonprofit, once again, is Giving Cycle, and their URL is easy to remember, givingcycle.org. Daria, thank you so much for sharing information about this model. And I would encourage our listeners, if they want to embark on their own equity journey, that they reach out to you and they talk about the next steps in the process. Wonderful. It would be my pleasure. If you are unable to write down Daria's web address, just visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com to get all of her contact information on our show notes. All three URLs will be there, and we'll probably throw some of our social media up on the show notes as well. While you're online, I say this all the time, but while you're online, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, or your streaming app of choice, and write a review of the podcast. If you don't feel like doing that, like us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, do something. I say this, again, all the time, we do not commoditize the podcast. We do this because we really want to be providing thought leaders, To folks who maybe cannot afford to come and attend the board leadership forum and so you know if you feel like paying it forward a good way to do that is to like it on Facebook write a review that kind of thing it's not that hard of an ask that's our show for this week I hope that you have gained some insight that will help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment I am not an accountant or attorney and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax legal or accounting advice this material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.